Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I'm delighted to welcome to my program today, Robert Grable. Robert, I'm so glad to have you with me today. Great to be here, Meredith. Happy to be with you. Before we jump into the questions I want to ask you, let me uh, introduce you to my listeners. Sure. Robert Grable is committed to serving others. He's had a career that's included work in both the for-profit and nonprofit sectors. After growing his practice in financial services, Robert spent nearly two decades in the nonprofit arena doing everything from launching his own startup charity to serving in senior leadership roles where he helped raise millions in support of a wide range of causes. He's a passionate advocate for the nonprofit sector. He writes and speaks on a wide range of industry topics and volunteers for organizations in his own community. And Robert has more recently created his own firm, Nonprofit Now, to support organizations and their leaders with the support they need to change the world. Love that, Robert. Nonprofit Now offers leaders customized services that nonprofits need to grow and thrive. And these services include things like executive coaching, board development, and fundraising. And outside of work, Robert enjoys writing, playing music, running, and loves his time with his family and dog. And very soon, he'll be releasing his first book called Just Do the Work, the portable nonprofit coach. So Robert, I want to learn more about your journey and what made you decide to focus on the nonprofit sector? Sure. Um, Well, my journey really started, I would say, about 21 years ago, and it coincides very nicely with me getting remarried. Um, I had been working in the financial services sector from the time I graduated college, till roughly 2001. And when I met my wife, who is an incredible, incredible person, so why I married her. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting about her was that she was insanely passionate about what, the work she did. And I'd grown up in a family where, and maybe it's a kind of a generational thing too. You know, my dad used to have a funny saying was, if it can be handled with money, it can be handled with money. And first you work, then you you know, stop, then you die. It was kind of a, I didn't really like the way that sounded. And so when I met my my wife, who was so passionate about work, I said, I want that too. I think that's so cool to love what you do. And it was just such a kind of a funny foreign concept to me. And so I had been working in finance and marketing and and enjoyed the work, but I just felt like something was lacking. So I, I took about, must have been six months of really good, hard exploratory work, just self work and realized that a lot of what I did in the financial sector, I could do in the nonprofit sector, fundraising specifically, 
and, and do a lot of the same things, a lot of the same skills utilized, but have more meaning in the world. So I made that very conscious decision in 2001. And then I really, for the past roughly 20 years, I was a staff member on a, a number of nonprofits as well as starting my own. So that's what got me into the nonprofit sector. Hmm. And so tell us a little bit about the kinds of services you offer now to nonprofits and their leaders to support their work. Sure. Well, the funny thing was, and I think you mentioned it in my introduction, was that um, I had developed my own business in the financial services sector. And one of the things I really enjoyed about that work was just that. Um, I was... I was uh, in finance and marketing at a time when people used to cold call, believe it or not. And there was a time when I spent, you know, all day calling 300 people a day to build a book of business. Mm. And so that mentality always stayed with me. And so when I went in the nonprofit sector, um, that's really one of the things I tried to bring to any organization that I would work with. And I, and quite frankly, sometimes it served them really well. Sometimes they're a little scared of it. And so at one point, must have been after about 15 years, my wife said, you know, you keep working with these nonprofits, you go in, you kind of move them really far along the curve, but then you seem to want to move on. And I realized that was really true. So what I loved doing was going in, kind of looking at the problem, looking at the gaps and filling them. And so what nonprofit now does is really brings those services, those, that ability to close the gap in fundraising and, and bring it forward in those nonprofits, but on a consulting basis. So I do both consulting, you might even call it contracting because I work with small nonprofits where they may not even have a development officer. So I might serve as their development officer. And uh, I like to say it was also a very happy accident as we often say in, in a couple of different coaching programs that I do. I'm a very ha happy accident that I ended up getting into coaching. And so um, the work's expanded in a very substantial way into doing a lot of coaching work with nonprofit leaders. So mm. that's what we do. Okay. Well, before we go into the coaching part, I know a lot of my listeners are responsible for the development efforts of their own business in addition mm -hmm. to providing their services. And I'm just curious how your, your cold calling experiences when you were back in um, – <clears throat> A financial advisor years serve you now with building your own business uh, because I think that's very relevant for my listeners. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, it's really evolved. I can, I, I would say Meredith, it's really evolved a lot over the last two years. Um, and it's evolved because of people that you've had on your program, like Melissa Ford. Um, when I started out uh, both you know, for the concept, for the consulting and for the, for the um, coaching, you know, I would did, a, did sort of a accidental combination of things. Um, there were a couple job boards where I would get contracting work for, from the coaching, I was also doing a lot of pro bono work, just kind of experimenting, etc. And I, I initially had this kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, avoidance. It was an avoidance of going back to people I'd worked with in the industry, which was really strange. Like I'd worked in this industry for 20 years and there I was saying, well, no, I can't go back to them in sort of a different, wearing a different hat. And then when I was starting to do work with uh, Melissa Ford, who's very much about, you know, working within your inner circle of people, I said like, of course. 
And so all that cold calling and some of the marketing that I was doing all of a sudden seemed so off base because I had this beautiful network of people that I could just reach out to in a very intentional way, share what I was doing, invite them to a conversation and, and, and do the work that way. And, and we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about service at some point, really to just open up a conversation, see if I could be of service to them and see where it went from there. Mm-hmm. And it was so different from that more, you know, hard sell type of approach I had t- taken in the finance industry. Well, you know, I want to explore this more because I think so often we overlook people we already have relationships with, people that are in our network, like you say, and think we have to look outside, that somewhere there's this other opportunity that we need to go find. So I love that, you know, with Melissa's guidance, and she's wonderful, just a fabulous person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious. Yeah, let's talk about that contrast of what kind of a mindset it takes to go cold call or, or look for people outside of those you know versus the comfort, if you will, of um, talking to people who already know, like, and trust you. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And to, you know, to that point and the initial question, you said, what did I sort of bring forward from the financial services industry? What I really loved about that was that you know, there was a lot of discipline to that. And that's a big, discipline is a big thing I have in my life. I'm a very slow but committed runner. I'm a slow but committed biker. And I love, you know, just building practices around anything that I'm committed to. And so in this, instead of, you know, committing, you know, two hours a day to cold, and this is really a switch that I've had in the last year or so, instead of committing two hours a day to let's just go find some new people, it's let's take two hours a day, an hour or two a day, and, and approach some of these people that I had already known, already had relationships with, and, and just see how I can make a, a new connection. Um, say, what's going on with them that might have changed in the last couple of years since we met? And, you know, just re-engage in a different way. But, yeah, there, there's such a different idea. And I think, you know, one of the things I love about the service mentality is that, you know, when I was in financial services, it's kind of a contrast. When I was in financial services, if I was selling stocks and bonds to someone, I could never say, hey, let's try this out for a couple of weeks and see what it's like. So now what I do is I invite people to conversations and say, let's have three or four conversations and see what you might get out of that. And if they get something out of it, I'll say, okay, well, now let's see if there's something more there. Let's see if I can be of further service to you. And that is where I think the, the big, the, the amazing difference that I love so much about what I do now is you can't test, you know, no one's going to let you go test drive a car for a couple of weeks. No one's going to let, let, let you test drive the stocks and bond market, but you can certainly offer to be of service to people for three, four, whatever it might be for a few sessions to really see if you can make a difference in their lives before they make a decision to work with you professionally. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk some more about this idea of service because I think mm-hmm. that's fundamental to, um, an approach, and not just approach, an attitude you've adopted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk more about what does that really mean when you say to be of service to someone? Yeah, I think it's really an important um, distinction in your intention and your mentality. I was, I was recently listening to a Michael Neal podcast, 
and it, and it, he said something that's very true. And I think for better or worse, it's become part of, I think, some lingo in the helping industry. It's like we, we bill, you know, using service as this kind of almost as a, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, just this new notion that we've invented to, you know, get clients. Mm. I don't, I don't like that at all. And, and it's, it's right. You know, it's what he was saying was true. It's not, it's not some gimmick. That's the word I was looking for. It's not a gimmick uh, mm-hmm. to get clients. It's like, well, I'm going to be of service for you for, you know, four times and blah, blah, blah. No, I think when you really go in with the mentality, like, let's see if there's something that I've got to offer this person. Let's start with that. Because I think when you do that, when you're not in a rush to make a sale, that's when you use service as opposed to let's just be of service. See what's there. See if there's a real genuine connection between you and someone you're speaking with. And I think the really important thing is this is something I learned. I remember the first time I ever coached someone, I was actually doing a board development program for them. And they said, can you coach me? Well, then I just decided, well, I'm going to, what I realized I was doing was just consulting with them, but under a different guise. You know, when, when you're coaching someone, you're really genuinely interested in asking and learning and questioning. You're not being an expert. And that's, I think, a really important distinction. If you're serving, you do not have to be an expert. You can, in fact, know nothing. In fact, sometimes it's better to know nothing, right? You know, I, I remember when I was going through a coaching program, um, the first couple of times I was in that program, they kept saying, stop trying to be the expert. And as soon as you stop trying to be the expert and just be like sort of empty your mind and say, let's see what this person's, what's going on with this person and not being a step ahead and say, well, I've got the solution already. That's when you're really of service to them when all your listening is there and your expertise is dropped. Mm-hmm. I, I love that um, difference you're making there with the consultant being the expert and abandoning that mm-hmm. really yeah. being of service the way you're talking about being. And so why are, why are you thinking three to four conversations <laughs> is better than say one? I, I don't, I would say three or four is kind of a sweet spot I've found right now. Um, I don't, because I think one conversation, you might start to see something, but I think unless you can invite them back and at least because what I find when I work with anyone is there needs to be a period of time to reflect on what you've, on what you've talked about to see if there's the potential for a shift, to see if there's a potential for a new practice to build, just the ability to see something new. And really, I think with coaching, the most amazing thing about it is the real difference rarely gets made in the conversation. It gets made between the conversations. Mm. And so I think not allowing that space would almost be a disservice to a client. I mean, if I talked to someone, had one wonderful 90-minute conversation where all their, all of a sudden they were lit up or all of a sudden they found something new, I'd love them to let, to let them sit with that for a while, for a week or two. Then let's come back and see what they want to do with that. Mm-hmm. So I almost think one, one is too little. Two could be maybe the perfect amount. Maybe, you know, if you're talking to me five years from now, it will be two, two. I don't know. Um, like I said, there's been a lot of evolution in what I do. But right now I'm finding three, sometimes four is, is what's right for me. Um, yeah. 
right? So that's, what, that's how you say not one, probably six or five is a lot. I think three or four is, three or four is a really good gauge for me right now to see what, like there's really something there. There's really something I have to offer you. And there's really something that you want that's worth investing in. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to kind of roll back to the folks that you approach that already know you. Talk a little bit about how you go about contacting them. Do you email them or phone them? And what approach do you take in, when you initially contact them? When I, and it's typically email, though, although I've been sort of wrestling with this phone mentality that, I, you know, that I'd like to bring back. And, and even about a month ago, I was doing some work with a group of coaches and we said, my commitment is to use the phone more. But the reality is these pe- people are so reluctant to pick up their phone these days that it's maddening. I mean, I do I, almost as a model to myself, I'm picking up the phone more just to, just to do that. And I find most of the calls are spam. <laughs> so, as, a, <laughs> as a side note, so I was like, well, let me prove that to myself. I'm not really proving it very well. So I have con- continued to do email. And I used to write this... I remember like about two years ago, I wrote write this horribly long email. I said, all this stuff about coaching and here's what I am. My email right now is really simple. It's, you know, it was so wonderful doing whatever we used to do together. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, I, I've changed, um, not I've changed. Um, I now work with people on helping them develop and learn um, new ways to be the best leader they can. Um, I'd love to invite you to a conversation to see if there's a way I can help you. That's it. And then I started to add, and this did work nicely, no sales. There's no sales here, no pitch here, simply service. If you want something beyond that, we'll see where it goes. And that's it. And so it's just an invitation. Yes, that's wonderful. You make it safe for them to say yes. And you, because I think a lot of times people are reluctant to agree to a phone call because they're concerned they're going to get pressured into doing something they don't want to do. Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that you add that no sales, just service, I think is an excellent touch. And I, I like the way you present it because you do lay the groundwork that there may be a way for you to help them, but you're mm-hmm. not making any assumptions about it. Right. Right. No, I do. I, and there's a few wonderful calls I've had over the last couple of months or so where someone said, you know, well, someone sort of asked, you know, with one eyebrow raised, well, what's really in it for you? You know, they're a little bit, they're a little bit suspicious. And I like that because it opens the door to say, so, you know, what happens? What are you really looking for here? So, and I'm, I'm very, very transparent. I'll say, listen, the way I'm building my business is by being of service to people first. And let's have these couple of conversations. And if you like what's coming out of that, I will want to talk to you about, developing a professional relationship and we can cross that bridge when we get to it. And a lot of times they'll say, and it's a great question. It's like, well, what, what does it look like to work, work with you? And they'll ask that before we've even had the first conversation. Okay. Well, what I typically do is I work with people on a three month commitment basis. It'll cost X, Y, Z. And, you know, we can, you know, contract that at the time. And I'm always flexible about that too. So if there's a different way that will serve you, we can talk about that. But that, is a really wonderfully suspicious, great question to ask because it gets it all out of the way right then. It's like if you were dating and you got the first kiss done in the first five minutes, you know, <laughs> right? Because that's what it's like, oh no, when's that going to happen? Well, here it's happened. Now we can just move forward. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I like that. That's, and that's sort of counterintuitive. You know, a lot of people are yeah. told, don't discuss price, don't bring up this. And I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhat different than what you were trained with in the financial services business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So was that a hard shift for you to make or was it pretty easy once you saw how it worked? No, I, like I said, I, I really feel very comfortable with that. And, you know, there, it's, and, you know, to sort of harken back to the financial services industry, by the time I was leaving that industry, you know, initially there was so much transactional work that wasn't, that I, that I really glad I don't do anymore. And I, you know, and it was moving towards a more relationship basis. And I think a relationship basis should always have transparency and, and the transparency should come as soon as the transparency is needed. I mean, if I'm going to someone to invite them to, for, to a couple conversations, money shouldn't be a concern yet because I haven't established any value with them, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if they want to know up front, I'm fully prepared to talk about it, you know? And, and that's, again, something I've gotten from the, a coaching group that I work with is uh, one of my colleagues just say, I tell them all everything right up front, you know? We just get it out of the way. You know, and if that's what someone needs to know to feel comfortable, then I'm delighted to share that with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, too, about how you and I met, which was through Angela Cusack, yep. uh, who's a, just an amazing coach. She's also mm-hmm. been a guest on my show. And I'd love to hear more about how, your work with her. What kinds of things did she help you with in your journey as a coach? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think what was, when I look back at, my, at working with Angela, who was just such an important part of my start as a coach, she was, first we had a very formalized relationship because I was going through um, training with the Newfield Network and she was literally my mentor coach. And so she first sort of helped ensure that I knew the proper way to coach. And I know that sounds, that will sound very funny to some people, um, you know, particularly transformative coaches who will just say, well, this is, the way, you know, there, there is no perfect way to coach. But if you are going for certification with the International Coaching Federation, you are supposed to hit seven markers um, of coaching. And I, I think that's a really um, great way to start out as a coach. I almost look, look at it, you know, because as a, you know, I'm a, if I call myself a musician, it's probably an overstatement. I'm like a garage type of musician. I love playing music. But, um, you know, it's, it's like learning all the foundational notes and chords to music, and then you get to improvise. And I think with the work I was doing with Angela, it's the same thing. Um, I, it was wonderful to learn. The, the, I think there are seven or eight foundational markers of being a good coach or a certified coach. And she made sure that I got all that. And I think, you know, once you know that, then you can, again, improvise. The other really important thing that Angela did for me, and I, you know, have finally stopped wrestling with this a little bit, is, you know, you can probably read 10 books on coaching. Five will say, never pick a niche, coach anyone. And five will say, pick a niche. Well, I've kind of landed in the middle of, I love working with people in the nonprofit sector because I love people that are just eager to make a difference in the world. And I, and I still consider myself very much in the nonprofit sector as someone who's a practitioner, but um, I don't want to limit myself to that. So while the, a lot of the marketing, I would really just call at this point writing I do is geared towards nonprofit people. Cause I like, you know, writing a post or I've started to do something like we, we were talking with about Chris um, 
Doris. Doris, we were talking about Chris Doris. I've started to do sort of a once a day thing as well. Um, you know, and I would borderline say I target the non people in the nonprofit industry because I, th- I I offer things that I help them, but I would never want them to be that to be exclusive. Um, or if someone else, if I could help someone that's not in the nonprofit industry, mm-hmm. I would to be just as eager to do it. Mm-hmm. Did so I answer the question? You're, yeah, I, you're mainly focused on nonprofit, mm-hmm. but you're open to working with anyone. And so I'm curious, you're reaching out to people that are in your network. Are there mm-hmm. any other uh, approaches or techniques? That's the wrong word. What else are you doing, I should say? What other sure. activities are you engaged in to develop your own business? Yeah, and, and now, I, now I remember the question I was answering. We were talking about Angela. Angela um, helped me not get so hung up on that. Like, it's okay to be focused on that, but, you know, you don't have to go crazy defining yourself at this point. And so I have actually two websites. We can talk about that later. One is just kind of very general, and I put up things that I just – I'll post something here and there about what I think might be interesting, but I tend to lean in more, lean in more to the nonprofit stuff. And you asked, what else am I doing to build my, I think, build my business, build my practice. Um, one of the things that I've really had a lot of fun doing recently is start, I started a group coaching program and it just literally launched last week. And uh, again, that came out of the coaching group that I'm working on. And I lo- and I really loved a concept. One of my colleagues, her name's Teresa Campbell, by the way, and I have, my little pitch to, for Teresa, she does amazing work with She's listening. going to be a guest oh, okay, on so, okay. in December, so we know a lot of the same people. Okay, yeah, Teresa's, Teresa's awesome. And we were, um, we had a call maybe early on in the program we were doing with Melissa, where she said, and she's the one who also talked about giving your pricing right up front. Um, and Teresa talked about how she had created this um, just this way of of coaching where everybody has a place in her practice. And so I really love that concept because most of the coaching I was doing was one-on-one and it was with a lot of the executive directors or CEOs, kind of that, that sort of upper level of leadership. And all of a sudden I was like, that's so exclusionary. I mean, there's so many other great people I could be working with. And so I decided to just do an experiment, you know, and I said, and, and this was the, one of the things I really love about this business is you just get create, create stuff all the time. And I said, I'm going to create a coach, coaching group. And I didn't, you know, my, my old way would have been like to map out this entire thing and blah, blah, blah. I just reached out to like the last 20 people I coached that weren't executive directors. And then there were a couple of people that I wanted to coach that I hadn't been really connected to. And I, I just started talking about this thing as if it was in existence. I said, okay, I've created this coaching group and it's for um, emerging leaders. And I called it emerging nonprofit leaders. And we're going to have four calls. And I, I talked to one of my previous people that I coached and said, what, what do you think would be a good agenda? She came up with a really good agenda. And I started just like sending out notes to people. I was like, okay, we're starting this group and here's a potential agenda. Would you like to join? So all of a sudden like, yep. So we just created this thing. And I started to call it my experiment. And I call it my experiment because if I'm doing one-on-one, I know what my deliverable is there, or at least some of the outcomes, the results that I've helped create. Here, I wasn't sure what it's going to be. And I said that. I was like, would you like to join this little fun experiment? And we're going to all co-create whatever the deliverables will be. Deliverables will be. And so Thursday, we had our first call with six people, and it was a blast. And so 
you know, my feeling is if that, if, if that works, like we come out of those four sessions with real results, then maybe I'll, as we were talking about, charge for it because I'll know what I'm charging for. I don't know what I'm charging for at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been a really exciting part of my practice. And um, what else am I doing? I'm writing a book or the, where I have a book that will be out available um, by the end of December, if not earlier, called um, Just Do the Work, um, The Portable Nonprofit Coach. And what it really is, is it, it's, it's some of the posts that I've written before, but sort of replaced to create a chronology for people that are enter, entering the industry who want to have some ideas about where they want to go, how they want to serve, um, some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, some of the pitfalls, and some of the amazing things that you get out of serving others in the nonprofit industry. So this is for people who are going to be coaches, or these are for people who work in the nonprofit. I would say it's more so for people that are going to be in the nonprofit industry um, as either it could be anyone from a volunteer to a board member, to a staff person, to a leader. Um, and I, you know, I have no doubt it would help someone as a coach because inevitably there'll be principles of leadership that, you know, I'd say are, are you know, called my principles or principles that I've discovered are important to me that I'll be sharing. Well, it's uh, the idea of a book really is an important credential. Mm -hmm. I've seen that this year because of putting out two books. And it just creates, um, it, uh, maybe I should say it eliminates questions mm -hmm. about your qualifications and your credentials. Because if you hand someone this book and they, whether they read it all the way through or not, it conveys an important message mm -hmm. about what your capabilities are. And yeah. I think that that will serve you really well in giving it as a, uh, giving it away really to people better than a business card or brochure because you're delivering again, going back to service, you're delivering them real value mm -hmm. in what you're, presenting to them so i think you're still working on that right that's a um we're we're on to draft we're on to draft 1.5 or we could call it we're at uh, version 1.5 I'll, I'll probably be comfortable enough releasing at the 2.5 stage <laughs> so yeah so getting um i can tell you from what i had done with my first book sending it out to some folks just to get mm -hmm. Um, a quote and then also get input. It was interesting some of the suggestions that I got yeah. to help take it to an even higher level and just being open to people spontaneously saying, you know, did you think about this or what about mm -hmm. that is uh, it's really worth getting it out there early and getting some input. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, I mean, that's another one where you can start making a list of people that you mm -hmm. think this could actually benefit. And mm -hmm. so therefore they're going to be eager to read it and yeah. um, give you a quote. So yep, definitely. That's a great, I will do that. great thing to do. Let's, I'd love to hear a little bit about a, a one or two of your clients where because of your work with them, they really experienced uh, significant change, transformation, or improvement in the organization or personally? 
Sure. Um, one of my favorite stories, and this was with a, um, someone who, who led a team, I think of about 10 or 20 people. Um, she was not, a, not an executive director, someone more of a mid to senior person. Um, it, and it, working with her was very memorable because she came to the nonprofit field with this feeling that I can't let any of my own personality come through. I can't bring any of my personal side to my job. Mm-hmm. And she admittedly came to me with uh, saying, not that she had a lack of empathy, but that she had felt that she couldn't show any empathy towards her employees. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was like, wow, what a, what a struggle that must be to work in this industry or really any industry with this awareness, but mm-hmm. that you, you know, struggling with that awareness. And, you know, she had really had a challenge with a number of her employees and she worked for a um, kind of a social services industry, providing some sort of therapies. And um, so, so, you know, there were certain challenges around getting paid around the finance, et cetera, et cetera. So she was, you know, the employees were really squeezed tight. They weren't paid wonderfully. And there was a lot of people that were, that were working for her that was very upset. And we just really spent a lot of time, not, and I don't, you know, I, I, there's this very important distinction between therapy and coaching, et cetera. You know, I, I will never see, I won't go back, you know, or look, listen to someone's history. Um, you know, I think sometimes that's really important to, to really be patient with who you're coaching. And I said, let's just kind of get to the bottom of that. Why do you feel that you, you can't bring any of yourself to these people who would find, you know, because I started to experience her as such an amazing, warm person. I was like, what do you think would happen if you brought that out to these people? He's like, I don't know, but I was told I can't. I was like, who told you? He's like, I don't know. I just got that in my head somewhere. And so we ended up doing a lot of role playing on what it would be like because she had this fear of just bringing out herself to these employees. And we spent a lot of time role playing about that experience and getting her comfortable just being open to talking to these employees in a more personal way, in a more empathetic way and it really within you know i think maybe three or four sessions had had this shift where she really enjoyed doing it and the employees were responding to her so differently you know amazingly you know they they were all of a sudden creating relationships even with the pay struggles not being as upset or at least not blaming her and she had just had a total shift in the way she was showing up and you know i i was just I think she, she was an amazing person who um, it was great to see her get rid of those blocks. So that's one that comes to mind very readily. That's a great story because, you know, so much of it is about the stories we tell ourselves, the beliefs mm-hmm. we adopt. And I like that you were able to role play with her to give her a, a safe environment to mm-hmm. try out something new yeah. different and I, I can just imagine giving her permission basically to just yep. let down the guard of, of yeah. protecting herself yeah can i share one other story oh, that's that i think is, it's it's a much quicker one um and it's not such a happy ending but i think it's an important thing to recognize um coaching doesn't always work the way you think it's going to work mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I had someone reach out to me to coach 
one of their employees, I had an executive director reach out to me to coach one of their employees on a remedial basis, meaning that that individual was on the verge of getting let go. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to um, see if we could coach that person um, into the turnaround story. And it was, you know, it always frustrated. It, it, it sort of amazed me that this was a senior leader and really she, no matter what we did, it was really a struggle to get her to be more aware and to let go of the story that she had told herself and her staff about the company and the way it was led. And it, it, you could say this story has like both a happy and sad ending. And I say that because unfortunately that person did not stay at the company or that person was let go. And very gratefully about a month ago, that very same executive director reached out to me to ask me to coach her um, because she had, she felt what I had done with the, with the employee was, you know, just the right thing. You know, sometimes determining that someone shouldn't be with an organization or should, would be better served being somewhere else is part of this work as well. Yeah. I see that as a happy ending because that I, I can, I could almost feel the change in the atmosphere <clears throat> of that organization when that individual left. Yeah. Because if, if she was bringing that kind of negative energy into the environment and, and wasn't willing to look for opportunities to change or, you know, alter her perception yeah. of things, then that was never going to be of service or of help to the people who work there. Yeah. Now she had, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think the word I keep hearing, maybe it's a buzzword these days, toxicity uh, about her and her, st the story and the feeling about management, the feeling about the whole structure of the nonprofit. And it was like, this is, this is not going to work. And I, I didn't go into it saying it. I really went into it saying, what can we do here? What, you know, what's, what's available to her, what's mm -hmm. available within her. And she was just, she did not want. She not, didn't want to get unstuck from that story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just a little bit of a well, when you contrast. think about it, your client there was really the organization. Yeah, and you were of service to them by helping to uncover the fact that she really was not a good fit there. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely one of the more unique coaching experiences I've had in this two years of early work in it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Robert, this has been so fascinating. I appreciate so much you sharing me the coaching with us, the coaching side of your work and also the business development side. I love the fact that you <clears throat> emphasize through your own learning the importance of reaching out to people who already know us. Yeah, thank that you. That we already have relationships with. And I want to encourage my listeners to make a list of people that you know who could probably uh, be able to help you in some way, either introducing you to someone else or might be interested in working with you, but striking up a conversation, as you said, Robert, not mm -hmm. trying to make a sale, but to see how you can be of service. And I'm a firm believer in that approach. Um, for folks that would love to connect with you, and I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of people would, tell them how they can find you online and connect with you and learn more about your services. Sure. So I've got two websites. Um, one is called uh, Your Nonprofit Now. So it's www 
your nonprofit now. I'll spell that out if that would be helpful. Y-O-U-R-N-O-N-P-R-O-F-I-T-N-O-W.com. And um, yeah, you can connect with me on that. Um, I do a I do posts fairly often. I started to do a something called nonprofit not now nonprofit now today, which is just a daily quote or thought, and I'm posting those on LinkedIn and having a lot of fun with those. And then I've got a more general web- website, um, which is just www.robertgrable.com, just the way it's spelled. Great. Yes, that's Robert, and then G R A B E L. Yep. Robert, thank you so much for being my guest today. I appreciate you and the really great work you're doing in the world and the way you're being of service to others. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Murda, for being on, for letting me be on here. I've enjoyed it. And thank you for, I'd have to say an introduction that has uh, changed my life and my entire practice in all candor. And, and I'm referencing your giving me Melissa's, um, I think, living the book, Living Service, um, The Journey of a Prosperous Coach. Melissa Ford's gotten a lot of plugs here, but she's worth it. So, um, no, thank you for that. And thank you for all you do. I enjoyed your book and your work as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.